on this morning. We're going to talk uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. And we're starting a new section, okay, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this Above and Beyond. And, and look, let me just explain to you on this, all right? We're moving into an area that everybody's uncomfortable with. Because we're going to start talking about what we think are the egregious sins, all right? And when we start thinking and talking about the egregious sins, we like to point fingers, all right? And we like to set ourselves apart because we don't think that we've ever committed any of these. But I want to tell you something. This is going to take about seven weeks for us to get through. By the time we get through all seven weeks, we're going to cost one that you have cut past with, all right? I guarantee you. So if you think that you're okay on this week, you're not probably going to be okay next week, all right? Or the week after that. So as we sit here and we start talking about things and you say, I've never committed this sin. Why in the world do I even need to be here for this message? Because the God's word calls for us to live above and beyond this. And so for every single one of us, we need to see the sin for what the sin is. And then at the end, the application for us is how we can live above and beyond that particular sin or that area in our lives or the issue, which is the underlying issue, because the things that cause us to sin sometimes egregiously is not the underlying issue. The underlying issue is something extremely simple. And when we get down to the simplicity of it, every single one of us has crossed that line. So we have the capability, if we allow the little things to get into our lives, to commit the egregious sin. Has anybody ever heard the old saying, there but by the grace of God go I? All right, have you ever heard that before? That is where this is going to come from. This whole section of scripture we're looking at right here, there but by the grace of God go I. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to introduce this section and then we're going to start talking about each one of the sins over the next few weeks. So don't think that you can go and look and say, I may just skip around so that you don't say, hey, uh, next week they're going to be talking about something that doesn't, doesn't deal with me at all. All right. So be, be careful. All right. I might start skipping around and stuff on you. All right. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So as Jesus has just told us to be salt and light in the world, he goes directly into the law and he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. The first thing we need to see is that Christ came to fulfill the law. The Old Testament was full of all of these things that are do's and don'ts. Everybody says that they do not want to be a part of the Christian faith these days because it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a bunch of rules. We're a bunch of rule followers, right? That's all we are. It's not a bunch of rules. In fact, let's, let's look at this, how it progressed through the Old Testament. So you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and there is no sin. They walked with God. They communed with God. They had personal conversations with God. It was an amazing, amazing thing. It's heaven. It's what we're one day going to be able to be about and be around and, and, and not only know each other, but, but to have this intimate relationship with our Creator. All right? And so we have this in the garden. Then sin comes in. It's broken. So they're kicked out of the garden. So then man is kind of left alone to himself. And then all these things start happening. We're going to talk about the first one next week. The first one next week is murder. First big sin that comes out is murder. And so you have all these things, and we very, very quickly, when left to ourselves, progress to these egregious things. 
And so then you have Moses who comes along and God has this moment with Moses on top of the mountain and he gives them these Ten Commandments. So here we have the Ten Commandments. Why were the Ten Commandments given? Were the Ten Commandments given so that we could follow them and be perfect and, and earn our way into heaven? They're not given for that. The Ten Commandments were given to us to show us where the boundaries are so that when we commit the sin, we'll see it. And we'll know that we're sinners. The commandments were not given to save us. The commandments were given to show us that we're sinners. And so all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see Israel and the nation of Israel and the people of God in this kind of dance with God. Well, I didn't do that, but I did do this. And then he judges them and he doesn't judge them. Then he sends prophets to speak to them and they get this, all of this word. But the whole time, the nation of Israel is coming up with more laws. So you had the Ten Commandments, but by the time of Christ, it had deteriorated into 400 and something laws that they needed to follow. And so these people were law bound. They were bound by all these laws. And we've got policemen in here, Brett. Does uh, a law mean that somebody's not going to commit that? No, it does not. So when a law is made, it does not mean that somebody's not going to commit that or cross that law, or break that law. What it means is that when the law is broken, that there's what? There's some kind of consequences for the breaking of the law. So here we go. This is what we need to see. Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law. He, come to fulfill, he came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. Why? Because in the Old Testament, laws and prophets were given. The word came through either the commandments or came through men of God, and it was given to the nation of Israel. It was either given through prophecy or by ways to live. So Jesus comes. He lives a sinless life, keeping all of the law. And then also he fulfills all the prophecies. So as the prophets come and they say these things about what the Messiah is going to be about, Jesus comes and he fulfills those. He, 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 not only does he fulfill it, he lives a perfect sinless life that gives us an example. So here's what I want you to see this morning. He came to fulfill the law. Why? Because God ordained it. In Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, it says this, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Guys, just as we saw earlier that we were born into sin, we're born under this law. We cannot be a group of rule followers and think that we're going to earn our way to heaven. We can't sit here and point fingers at everybody else and say, well, I've never done that one, so that makes me good. And if we start checking boxes off and thinking that we, because we've completed this task or not crossed this line, think that we're going to earn our way into heaven or be allowed into heaven because of that merit that we have earned by not sinning that way. Let me tell you what else happens with this. When people do break that law or do cross that line, we judge them. We judge them because immediately we start to think because we have not crossed that line that we're better than them. Well, at least I haven't done that. Have you ever said that before? No. There's not a man in here who's never said that to his spouse, right? Well, at least I ain't done that. Look how bad he is. You know what I'm saying? We all do that. 
every single one of us began to compare ourselves with someone else. There is no comparison here. Who's the only one that we are to compare ourselves to? Christ. Have you lived up to that yet? No, not a soul in here. All right. So if we have not lived up to that, we are condemned. And we should see ourselves that way. Why? Because it helps keep us in the proper perspective. Christ came to fulfill the law. The next part of the passage says this, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. The second thing, not only Christ did Christ come to fulfill the law, he came to complete the law. He came to finish that. He finished it. He completed it by living a sinless life and not allowing himself to sin and then also fulfilling all the prophecies of the Messiah. He is our Redeemer and he is worthy of that. He is worthy as the Son of God, as the sacrifice to lay down his life for us so that we can live a life eternally with God because he is a spotless lamb. So he completes that. That part is finished. We no longer have to see that as our aspiration. Meaning, if we break one of these laws or whether or not we didn't break one of these laws, that is not the end game. Because every single one of us is going to see that we've broken some of this. We've crossed this. And it's going to get harder. Just because Jesus came to accomplish and complete and finish the law doesn't mean that game is over. Every single one of these next six weeks when we look at this, it says, don't think that just because you haven't killed somebody means that you're going to get into heaven. Because I say to you, anyone who has ever done this, and you're going to go, whoa, I've done that. I didn't kill anybody, but I have looked lustfully at another woman. Well, guess what? Jesus says that you've crossed that line. He says if you've gotten angry with someone, you've crossed that line. And so over and over and over again, he says if you've judged somebody... You've crossed that line. If you don't want to look at the speck that's in your eye, but look at the, or excuse me, look at the speck that's in someone else's eye and not look at the log that's in yours, you've crossed this line. And so over and over and over again, he tells us the bar was here. Now the bar is here. So we have to live above and beyond even what the people in the Old Testament thought that they needed to live by, even the religious elite of that day thought that they needed to live by. Why? Because that is what God has called us to. So just because Jesus came to fulfill the law and just because Jesus came to complete the law, it does not mean that game is over. He, it's not finished. It's not done. For you and I, the standard is actually higher. We have to live above and beyond that which we think everybody else is called to. So Christianity is simplistic. It's very easy to be a follower of Christ. You just surrender your life. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. It's no longer me that's first in my life. It's Christ that's first in my life. It's no longer me thinking about myself, but me thinking about the kingdom of God. 
That's simplistic. Surrender your life. The difficulty comes in what? Doing it. Living it. Every single day of our lives. Because the bar is higher. The standard is higher. Paul says this. Now, if you go and you read all of these letters that Paul writes, you're going to sit there and you're going to think, this dude was about as close to God as anybody could be. But Paul says over and over, I have not accomplished this. I have not reached my goal. I'm striving to get better. I'm striving to go higher. He says this. We just talked about this in Philippians. Reaching forward, climbing upward to the high calling of Christ Jesus. So guys, we're constantly trying to move forward. We're trying to move upward in our lives. We're not looking to go sideways. We're not looking to go backwards. We're looking to make a stand and move forward from that. John 1, verse 14 and 17 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. This is our new standard. Our new standard is no longer the law. Our new standard is grace and truth. Wow. Our new standard is to live a righteous life, truthful, before those who are before us each and every day, and live a life of grace. What is grace? Is it, can anybody tell me what grace truly is? Um, unmerited favor. Unmerited, not earned. At all. That's what grace is. So think about that tomorrow when you go and your boss is, is just snooty. And you got to go, hmm, unmerited favor. You have not earned my love at all. You have not even earned my like. We cannot be Facebook friends. This ain't happening at all. But Jesus said, I'm supposed to show grace to you. Smile it is. That's hard, isn't it? That is above and beyond. When someone wrongs you, and you're supposed to look beyond that, when someone does something harmful to you, how many times have we seen, and this is just unbelievable to me, is that people have suffered loss from the hands of someone else, a life, a loved one, and for them to, to go and say, you know what? I have forgiven them. I have, I have let go of that. I am above that. I am beyond that. Not saying that they have forgotten what happened, but they have forgiven that which did happen. It's hard, isn't it? Simplistically, we give our life to Christ but righteously we must live. Graciously we must live. So the standard to which God has called us to is above and beyond that which the world lives in. That's why it makes a difference when we do it. That's why our light shines. That's why we put out the heat. 
That's why it is what it is. It radiates out from us, not because of who we are, but because grace and truth have implanted themselves in our lives and we're living through the Spirit of God. And because we're living through the Spirit of God, this is what overflows into the world. This is what the world doesn't have. That's why it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You don't have joy in your heart and in your soul in and of yourself. We were talking about this Wednesday night. We just started James. James says right off the bat, consider it all joy when you go through various trials. What? How many of you are going, Gee, Jesus, thank you for allowing me to go through this one. We don't do that. We go, what are you thinking? You have chosen the wrong person. I cannot do this. That's the whole point. You can't do it. The only way you get through is by the grace of God. But we're to consider it joy. So when those same things happen to people of the world and they respond in a different way, then, then we see the outcome. Okay, I'm going to give you a case in point. It's just, this just happened this week, all right? So the YouTube thing, did y'all read about the YouTube story this week? All right. So what happens is, because this is like a precursor for next week, what happens is YouTube changed a policy that angered one of its members. YouTube changed the policy of how they paid people for videos, and because they changed the policy of how they paid, this particular person no longer was getting paid money from their YouTube stuff that they were doing. Did you know that? And so they, they went into the office and they took that out on somebody else, three other people, and then took their own life. This is what I'm talking about here. The world needs to see grace and truth. The world does not have grace and truth in and of itself and on its own. So instead of saying, hey, I got to find a new way to make some money, or if I, I got to find something else in my life, oh, they changed their policies, so be it, and move on from it. Nope. They respond out of anger, and anger comes into murder. This is the picture all throughout every single one of these sins or these transgressions or these missing the marks that we will go through over the next few weeks. We got to realize that the only way that we make it through is because there's something different about our lives. Not ourselves. The difference about our lives is Christ. Because we no longer look to the world to find all the answers for our lives because the world is out to get us. And so that doesn't mean we shut these doors and we all stay in here and say, the world is bad, evil. We're going to come in here. These are all the good people. Only associate with these people. Don't ever speak to anybody else. No. We got to go out there and reach that. And how do we do that? We don't do that by being just like them. We do that by being like Christ. And as we do that, then the world sees something totally radical, something totally different from who they truly are, and they can, they can find what they're missing. 
you and me, we're not what they're missing. In and of myself, I'm not what they're missing. But what they can find is Christ shining through our lives, and that is what they are missing. Let's keep reading. Verses 17 through 20. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The answer for us is great, greater expectations. We were talking about this in Sunday school class this morning. When we set an expectation for a relationship or a person or something that's going to happen, and it doesn't meet our standards, we get upset. And when it doesn't meet our standards and we get upset, we tend not to go back there again, don't we? All right? Why do you think people leave the church in droves? They have an expectation of what they think the people of God are going to be like and what it's going to be like inside that church. And then when somebody actually sins against them that's inside the church, they get upset a lot of times and hit the road. The people in the pews are not perfect. Amen? Amen. Amen. The people in the pews are not perfect. But that doesn't mean we lower our expectations. We need to have greater expectations, but that's not in and of the people that are in this room. That's through the power and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're not going to reach flowery branch for Christ in and of ourselves. We're going to reach flowery branch for Christ through the power and the presence of God in our lives. Through the people in this area seeing something different for us thinking outside the box, for us thinking beyond what we think that we're capable of doing, for us living a life above all the wreckage that we see every single day. The only way that we're going to ever see us truly become what God wants us to become is to not be satisfied with where we are. And that starts with us personally. Because if we're satisfied with where we are personally, then we're not going to be trying to move forward and if we're not trying to move forward then we're not trying to move upward and if we're not doing either one of those then we're stagnant and stale I love this quote William Carey William Carey's a great missionary if you've never read anything about William Carey's life go google him and then you can read all about it yourself, all right? He did great, great things in China, all kinds of amazing things. He said this, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. So in other words, if we're going to expect great things from God, we just can't sit around and say, God, you got to do it. We have to go out and do what? We have to attempt. We have to move forward. We have to step outside. We have to walk. That's what Paul says over and over to us. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Walk in, by faith, not by sight. Walk. Is walking, standing, or sitting? Very good, all right? I'll close with that. We all can go home now, all right? We, don't, we all understand this. Walking is moving. What does a sedentary lifestyle get you? One of these. <laughs> One of these right here. 
Not enough movement going on for what's going in. So we got to make sure that when we're coming here on Sunday morning and we're taking it all in, but we ain't moving with it, are we? It's all gathering all around us. And we think we're more righteous than everybody else. And we're the religious fat cats. What we need to be is moving. And it needs to be going in and coming out. We won't explain that in any more detail, all right? But it needs to be moving through us. That's what the power of God does. It doesn't stop with us. It moves through us. There's a greater expectation. And the more that comes in, we need to see what? We need to see God do greater things. It's a beyond type of aspect. It's a beyond thought process, all right? Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says this. Therefore, since we've been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let's stop right there for a second. There's two things. There's sin, and we like to point to the sin that stops us. But it says lay aside every what? Encumbrance. Hmm, you know what encumbrances are? Encumbrances are your mindset and our thought processes, our expectations of what God's going to do. And when God doesn't move in that way, or God doesn't do it the way that we want it, or if it costs us a little bit more than what we think it ought to cost us in time, talent, or treasures, then we are done. And we got to get beyond that. I've had a couple of instances when I was a student minister. One was an, an abusive relationship, and the, the child came, the parents didn't come, but one of the children came and said that um, because of the abusive relationship and it was alcohol that was being abused, that mom had gone and hawked her ring to pay for food and stuff. And so I was a student minister, I was like, I was just heartbroken. I was like, I was a student pastor. I was part-time. We had young children, and I plopped out a $200 check and said, go get your, go get your mom's ring out of hock. My full expectation was because of what came out of the mouth of that young lady was as soon as we get the money, we'll what? Pay you back. So my expectation was is that one day what? That money was going to come back to me. That was $200. That's a lot of money back in that day, and I needed it very much so. But I wrote the check, didn't tell my wife about it, just was trying to do a God thing, right? Guess what it did not do? It did not return to me, ever. And so then that person later on walks into one of the church plants. And I'm like, what the heck are they doing here? I ain't got no more money. You know what I'm saying? Is that right? It's totally wrong. Totally wrong. Then another occasion, I did the same thing. It was $50, and I thought, I'll never see that money again. And next Friday, when that young man got paid, guess what I got? $50 back. So see, we have all these expectations of what we think is going to happen. We just got to do what we feel like God is leading us to do. God took care of us. We had the money to make it by without the $200. She came back into our lives later, and we were able to minister to her for a period of time. 
That young man, I've spoken to him numerous times after he left student ministry. Would have never expected that to happen, but it did happen. In fact, I married him to his first wife. So it's, we just don't know how God is going to move. But we think we know, don't we? But we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. We have seen how God moves all throughout Scripture. And it's never like this, is it? It's never in a nice, neat, little tidy box for us. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. So why do we think that we need to box God up like this and carry Him around? And that's the only way that He can move. He, he moves just in this realm right here. We got to blow that box up. We just got to do as we feel that God has led us to do at that time. And when that happens, be okay with it. Let's keep reading. Because you're going to see the full picture of this. And let, the, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the awesome author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. <laughs> wow. It was a struggle, wasn't it? Jesus knew what he had to do, but when he was in the garden, was the joy pouring out? No. He was weeping. And it was stressful. He was bleeding. It was so stressful. But he knew what he had to do, and he went and he did it. And he counted it joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostilities by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's the part I want you to get. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood, and you're striving against sin. God is not going to ask us to do that which we are not capable of doing. But there's plenty of times when he calls on us to go and do something and we think that we're incapable of it. And you know what? In and of ourselves, we are. The only way it's ever going to be accomplished is by God. And the only way it's going to be accomplished is by God moving in us. God's going to do a neat thing in our midst. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? I want to tell you something. Walls will come up. And I imagine it'll be probably pretty quickly. Something that's going to be hard for us to think about. Somebody's going to walk through that door that doesn't fit what we think should happen. Either by the way they look, by how they carry themselves, whatever. Color of their skin. Or it might be somebody from the past who caused a ruckus, and in through the door they come. How do we deal with that? How we respond with that makes all the difference. Because if we say, no way, baby, and box it all back up, or we get frustrated and we walk out because they walk in, that accomplishes nothing. Nothing. We don't control that door right there. We do control that door right there. 
I'm saying this is the indoor, that's the outdoor. It's all where our heart is. It's all how we see all of this. It's our view. It's our perspective. It's our thought process. It's our mindset. It's our attitude. Guess what? This sermon covers every single bit of that. Not this particular one, but the Sermon on the Mount. Are we ready? Gloves off. Game on. It's time to go. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the fact that your word is just right up in our face. People say all the time that the preacher stepped on my toes this morning. I'm just saying what you said. Father, you are all in our lap. And Father, I pray that you will help us to see right face to face with you and that we will deal with you These words are not meant to upset us. They're to there to break down the barriers that we place between us and you. And Father, I pray that we'll do that. Because as we begin to do that in our lives, then you begin to work miracles and wonders. And you do things that we never thought were possible in us and through us. And we begin to forgive. And we begin to forget. And we begin to move forward. And we begin to climb higher. And as we do that, Father, we go into places that we're not comfortable with and places we've never been before. But Lord, you are with us. In fact, you've prepared the path before us. Help us just to walk. Lay down all the encumbrances. Lay down all the sin. Keep our eyes focused on you. And help us to finish. These things we pray now and these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand together.